Hi everyone, welcome to Podcasters Unleashed. I'm so happy to host this again. Uh, my name is Haula, I'm from Women Stories Podcast, where I share stories from women who rose above different challenges. And today we are going to talk about intergeneration equity and uh, our investments in our life generally. And I just wanted to bring awareness uh, for our generation and for the future generation about the intergeneration equity and how we can um, invest ethically and also uh, benefit the future generation uh, from our investment and how they can also learn from our ethical investment. So uh, before getting into the discussion, I would like to in, um, present my host. So Simon, go first. Hi, I'm Simon. And my podcast is Taxi Chronicles, where if you are honoured to jump into my taxi one day, I shall give you the opportunity to have an interview. And we do that and we record it audio only and we push it out. I've got over 600 episodes and it's a diverse set of people who get into the taxi. My other podcast is Africa Investor Stories, where I interview people from around the world who've invested in Africa and they share their joys, their sorrows, their happiness and all the many things. Over to you, Carla. Hi, I'm Carla. I'm the host of the Wonder and Wellbeing podcast, which is a podcast that talks all about topics to do with education and wellbeing. Over to you, Matilda. Hello, I'm Matilda, host of Coffee with Matilda, Journey to Self. And my podcast is about finding yourself, loving yourself, and coming out of adversity stronger than before. Uh, Victor, it's you next. Yeah, thank you, Matilda. Like that, that energy stronger than before. Yeah, anyways, I'm Victor Sio. I'm the host of the Diaspora Entrepreneurs Podcast, where I have conversations with entrepreneurs who have managed to move from the core nine to five towards a lifestyle of freedom. Over to you, Hala. Yes, so this topic we are hearing today is an interesting topic uh, because I kept thinking about the investment that the new generation is doing right now. And I can't seem to find if it's going to benefit also the next generation with all what we are doing with Metaverse and Bitcoin, non-tangible investment. And uh, it just hit me that this concept about intergeneration equity, uh, what does it really mean is meeting the needs of the present without compromising the ability of future generation to meet their needs? Uh, Victor, maybe you can put the definition so everyone could be familiar with the, with the concept of intergeneration equity. And uh, traditionally, for example, our families uh, back then in days, they had the idea that if we buy um, a piece of land, and as long as we keep the land uh, prosper and proper, you get the income or the crop. And also the future generation could inherit the land and can they get also the income in return. Uh, those kind of investments were done uh, in baby boomers and before. Uh, but unfortunately, things has changed really uh, with different generation. Uh, so my question goes to you, Simon. Um, do you think that each generation has the right to inherit the same diversity in natural and cultural resources that is enjoyed by previous generation? What do you think about that? It's a very, very interesting question and it's been pondering uh, over my mind, to be honest. I would say there's a difference between having the right 
and making it actually practical. Because in the way the world works, in certain parts of the world, um, people, parents make bad decisions and uh, sickness happens and depending on your economy and the society you live in, you may have to forfeit what you own that would have been your legacy of your children, sadly. But overall, um, there was a rule, I can't remember what tribe it was in the world, it's a group of people, and the rule is this when it comes to land. You can only own what you harvest or you're living on. So theoretically, if I put it like this, if I can only sow seeds on five acres of land a year, that's all I can own. I can't say I've bought the land over there, which is another additional five acres. And if one year I decide not to harvest or sow seeds on that land, then I don't own it anymore. The person who puts their seeds on that land owns it. And I think that's a beautiful way of keeping fair throughout society because it stops the big for any big corporations, corporation or organization of people or individual from claiming too much that they can never use. And it gives everybody a fair chance. Um, so that would be my answer in that thing. Hi, George. Yeah, <laughs> in that respect. <laughs> Thanks, George, for tuning in. And uh, yeah, uh, please type in uh, your opinion about intergeneration equity. Uh, I think it's a very interesting one. And let us know, uh, does your generation left you uh, some natural resources or, <laughs> uh, um, I don't know, how, what did you inherit from your uh, last generation? I think it's an important topic to talk about. Um, Carla, do you think that access of uh, uh, natural resources um, has changed and uh, the access of environmental well-being, uh, like access to water, uh, having uh, more freedom uh, to do uh, trades or to have a business or to do an ethical business, do you think has changed uh, from generation to another one? Um, I think it has. It appears to have changed. I think um, probably the biggest change is really people's access to information in relation to these topics. I, I never remember any time as a child where this sort of stuff was mentioned in my education or that I had access to any information related to this. It just it was something that I heard about or became familiar with in, in my 30s, if I'm honest. Um, whereas now I think that it is a big part of the discussion in children's education from a young age. I think even the concepts uh, that they're exposed to in relation to natural resources and um, rights and all these different buzzwords that you're bringing up is, is really is very different now to how it was. Um, and I think even talking about things like a business and having all these different ideas with businesses and ethical business and all of that, I don't think it was even an option to us because we were, I was from the generation, or maybe that's also because of my background, I very class background. So it was really about making a living. We weren't talking about the environment or pr protecting the environment. That was something that was a privilege for those who came from a background where they had time to think about that. Uh, we were brought up more 
of the generation to get a job, uh, work hard at school, get a job and be successful. And um, the damage that that caused to the environment wasn't a factor like it is now. Um, and whether or not we were leaving resources. I do remember us talking about fossil fuels and they would say that by the time we'd be adults, 2030 fossil fuels would run out. Um, and now that date is upon us. Um, it's it's looking pretty likely that they were right. Um, we're in crisis, aren't we? So, or so some people say, um, whether or not we are or not, I don't know, because again, that's a privilege that I don't I don't have access to. I'm still earning a living, so um, I'm not thinking about whether or not fossil fuels will run out. I think that's more, it's a rich people's problem and a, a rich, I think the people who panic the most about that and worry about having those things to pass on to next generations are those who believe that that stuff belongs to them. Mm. I think the earth doesn't belong to us. We are here visiting, all of us. It doesn't matter whether you're rich or poor, we're here as visitors. And we're only supposed to use what we need, what we truly need. And we're supposed to do that responsibly and leave the earth in the condition it was or the best condition we can on our exit. Um, but I think that when you're super wealthy and you come from that background, you start talking about rights to resources, which is a strange concept to me. I don't believe that I have right to anything on this earth because it's not mine. I didn't create it and I'm not taking it with me. Um, and I think that's changed as well. I think the amount of rights that people ha think they have um, is the belief is is that it's much greater than it truly is um so yeah i know that was a long answer to all your different questions but i know we're going to touch on more of it a bit later so let's yeah, um, yeah. uh, just to uh, just to read one or two comments here now is that um one um hi george second from sasha hi sasha sasha says experience because i was listening to them and second he said um yeah, education is the most important gift for the next generation. Nowadays, the young generation is lost without references. And he continues to say, this is the end of the circle. Regulations are coming soon at every level. Why judge jumped in to say, um, when I was a child, there was only five TV channels broadcasting in black and white. Telephone services were very restricted and limited. And didn't work at all. It didn't work. It didn't work that well, or didn't work well. Yeah. So I don't know if I should say something because. Go, go ahead, Simon. Before. Yeah, before I, 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 sorry, I was just going to comment into what Carla said. I wanted to think Carla said it very, very well put as normal. But um, what what I was looking at is that there are countries when. When we speak, we've got to consider we speak from a point of view as individuals based on the society and the upbringing that we've had. Now, if you look at like Libya, where Gaddafi was, and even in Oman today, you have a, the government ensures or the king ensures that you have a right to the natural resources. So everybody's given a quota of fuel for free every week or every month. And then if you go over that, you pay, but you pay obviously at a discounted rate. And things like that and that's where you've got system where it is looked out for the the people of that land so we can't i would say we have to take into the consideration of those other cultures around the world where they do have that when i was living in kenya for instance um my son's mum was a lawyer and we were walking through and their disguise were developing this land when i say developing they're just Dividing it into plots of land is like 80 by 50 feet sizes. 
But the funny thing was that whoever owned the land never owned the coconut trees. Because by Swahili law, which Swahili is an East African uh, tribe group of people, with nine tribes within one uh, group of people, um, if you sell the land, you always remain, the coconut trees will always remain yours. And I found that very strange. So you can build a house and have a nice garden and some guy comes walking into your garden and starts, <laughs> take all the coconuts, and walks off. So I'll be back in six months time to get the rest. Um, Is that legal? That, like they can take coconut? Yeah, that, yeah that's the law. That's the, because you have different forms of law. You have the Islamic law, you have the Christian, which is the kind of contemporary law that we uh, English law, and then you have your tribal laws. And that's the way they do it in that part of, it's not the whole of Kenya, it's just on the coast of, of um, that group of people. And that's the way they do it, and that's the way it's done. And if you chop down these trees, it's going to be hell to pay because coconuts are like a thing that brings life because they work as a laxative, they're, you know, they're nutritious, they do lots of things. The cusk makes clothing and things like that. So um, over to you, Victor. Yeah, Simon, I, I know what you're saying. Because why, why is that? Because coconuts, rubbers, rubber trees, um, cassava, cassava stems, um, oranges, these are, these are um, edible stuff. So when you buy, like when I bought land, the edible stuff inside the cassava tree, the cassava stems, the, um, the palm trees, whatever is on the land, if someone else plants that, that belongs to the person and not the owner of the land. So, and when you buy the land, you have to go and negotiate with the owner of the trees or whatever is on the land that is edible. Okay. But that's beside what I wanted to say. Um, you see, when I was trying to like get back to what to what Carla said about um, having rights to an inheritance, also, you see, as um, I inherited stuff from my dad, which I'm very grateful for, natural natural stuff, houses and um, land as well. So and my. He 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 later went back to the faith, Christian faith, and they have this Christian sect which which they belong to, which which the name of their church was um, God's Kingdom Mission. So they were very Bible based. So he he knew you know that part of the Bible that says a good man leaves an inheritance for his children's children. So he really practiced that to the core, and. I'm very grateful for him to do that, which was really, really like a leg up. And that was not really what he was, um, I won't say really proud of. He actually wanted, because he was not really educated, so he wanted us to be at least some level higher than him when it comes to education. So his proudest moment was actually the education that he gave us or he was able to provide for as many children as possible that were ready to like jump on the platform. So that is what I wanted to say regards what Kyla said in the beginning. So over to you, Hala. Yes, but it seems that the mindset of investing has changed 
from our ancestors and grandparents and has changed to this generation because I don't think now that uh, the new generation uh, or I, I actually have never thought about investing to leave something behind and it's just like this kind of concept has changed. What do you think Matilda? I think it's cultural as well where I'm coming from, Armenians and what Jewish people have the same. We the concept is you take whatever your parents are giving you, your grandparents are giving you, you make it bigger and you give it to your children. It's something that I know I have it from my parents. There's no question about it. And I know that it's my duty to make it bigger and give it to my children. Um, you talk with any Jewish person, you talk with any Armenian person, and we are one of the oldest people in this planet as far as country and nation-wise. Um, people-wise, society-wise. Iranians are the same. We, there is no, um, I, when I talk with my American friends or European friends, sometimes for them, oh, that's their parents. They haven't worked on it, so not necessary. They, they, it's their right to have it. In our culture, that's not a concept. There's no concept there. For my parents, it's an evidence that I will take whatever they're going to give it to me. And my responsibility and my duty will be to make it bigger, to give it to my child. Because that's how Armenian nation and Armenian culture grows and becomes stronger. And that's how Iranians are. You see any Iranian in America, not, not even in Iran, in America, they have a lot of wealth because it comes from the previous generation and they take it very seriously. They put, uh, they work on it, and they feel like. And parents train their child to be qualified to take care of that uh, equity that they're gonna receive. So I think it's in the, it's in a system of a culture and the uh, nations, whereas Europeans don't have it. I think they're more individualist or Americans don't have it. Um, but yeah, some cultures, my money is my parents' money as well. Like we don't have that concept of this is my money, that's my parents. We are a family. Everything is together. And when I'm in a trouble, of course, my parents need to come to rescue me as well. And vice versa. Go ahead, uh, Simon. Yeah, well, well, I like what Matilda's saying. Also, in, uh, talk about from an English point of view. Of the London, for instance, got over 300 different languages spoken. That's there's only 195 countries on the planet, so that's a, that's somebody from every part of the world is living in London as a community. But what happens? Everybody kind of leans in towards the English way over generations. You see, um, and what I've noticed is that. You can build an inheritance, but what you do get, you get people who fall out of their children because you only have one or two. They have very small families. So when you have a small family, if you have an issue, that's it. Well, if you have lots of siblings, as probably Victor could vouch for, yeah, you can kind of sort things out amongst yourselves. It's much easier to pull together. And two people to bang your heads together. I know Matilda wants to jump in here. <laughs> yeah. 
But what I'm saying is that what we're talking about here is really legacy, leaving a legacy. And where you, where parents, you, you go to an old people's home or, or a hospital, you see a lot of people, a lot of cultures, certain English cultures, they don't go and visit their elders. They don't go and visit their grandparents or it's easier to put them in a home. And those grandparents or those parents will form bonds with other people, with the nurse, for instance, or the helper. They give money elsewhere and all those different things. So it's easy to say, we're going back to your question, um, Hello. oh, they have a right. But the argument would be, well, you can, um, what's the term? Your right can be taken away. There's a proper term, Carlo will probably know it, um, from you on the basis that you don't look after your elders, elders in that respect. So it's not just like a, a one-way thing. And there's something also you mentioned, Paola, where I think as we get older, we start to look at life in different perspectives through different lenses. So um, when I was in my 20s or late teens, the stuff that my um, birth father used to talk to me about, about owning a house and that, I was like, really? I just want to run around and <laughs> come here, that kind of thing. And as I got older, later on in life, I started speaking, maybe I do need a house. Everyone has got a house now. I haven't got a house. Well, right, let me go and get a house. Uh, yeah, do you see what I mean? So it's all stages and things like that. But over to you, Matilda. Well, it's very interesting what you're mentioning, uh, Simon, because, I mean, they don't just teach you to, are uh, you going to receive what I have? there is a hierarchy in the family structure. Like you look at Jewish family, you look at Armenian family, we respect our parents. I still at this age, gazillion decades old woman, I say, oh, my mom said this, then I should do that. I never argue with my mom. I never argue with my dad because it's not respectful. Whatever they say, that's it. I mean, when I say this to my Western friends, they laugh at me. They say, I mean, you're a grown up woman. You." You just do what your parents are saying. And I'm like, yeah, because I don't want to bother them or I don't want them to be upset. And they're like, okay, so what they're upset. But there is this respect that you don't want to cross it. If my mom says something, it has to be done. Or I don't do anything against my dad's wish because that's not respectful. That's not nice. That's not, that's not how things are done in this kind of a world. So we never leave our... Um, elderlies, we never disrespect them. It, it, this can have a lot of other damages as well because some people don't live their own life. They live for the family. But in this scenario, it helps because you can never disown your elderlies. The elderly is the, the king of the house till they die. My grandma rules. Doesn't matter. She has dementia. She has. She's actually in hospital right now. But whatever she says, everyone follows that because that's their mom. And um, so the culture is very different in in aspect to elderly, and that's why they care about the equity that they receive and they value it a lot because it's from their parents, the work of their parents, and you have to uh, honor that. Yeah. Just to jump in there quickly, I'll just take Carla's words. It's what are your values? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 
Yeah, I just want to jump to this. Yeah, that's what the, that's what we're talking about is values, really. And there's something in the good book that says, please with your mother and obey your father. Yeah. And I think that's very, very true. If you can please your mom, your mom's going to boast, yes, my boy or my girl. And you obey your father because you know your father's always telling you the right thing, even though it's annoying at times. So back to you, um, Harala. Well, Simon, it depends on the family. Sometimes we have you have bad members from the family. They want to steal everything. So <laughs> yeah, that's true. That's true. Yeah, it's on it's on every family. So there's no family that is pure perfect. Every family has the good, the bad, and the ugly. So with that, let me just go on um, on the comments. George says, um, "Yeah, that's the same with me, Matilda. I think it's where you're talking about." the Jewish and the Armenian um, similarity when it comes to um, building legacy. As well, um, then Sasha says, um, the mindset change, uh, change, the mindset changed clearly. Now people invest in MFT monkeys and they think they are smart. <laughs> I laugh on that. Someone asked Atali, a French thinker, what is to be, what is it to be Jewish? The answer was to have Jewish children the heritage is about the transmission on the culture for the next generation. Mm. Yeah, I think, I think that is, I don't know, but that's kind of similar with, um, with my culture because I would be a chief one day as a custodian of my culture, you know, very soon. You are invited. <laughs> yeah, so, but what I wanted to say, Simon, is that I think one of the biggest, one of the biggest, uh, I, had a, I had a mind shift a couple of days ago about building generational, generational wealth. If you have a business, like, let me say, like, like our fathers or our fathers before us, who had a business, they had a farmyard or they have, they have the, um, they're like scholars, whatever profession that they practice, they kind of want the, the offspring to be part of that, to give them the education about the business. So if it has to do with um, traditional medicine, that is why those things are fading away from, from, from our culture right now, alternative medicine, because now if you pop a pill, Panadol, Paracetamol, or Ibuprofen, it cures, the, it relieves the headache. But back in the days with our forefathers or people that still live in the rural areas, these traditional doctors, they kind of pass the knowledge on. So it remains in the family. And where I got the, the, the shift from was that, who told you that you have to kick, off, you have to kick your child away at the age of 15, uh, 18 out of the house? Who said you should kick them out at the age of 25? If you have a good structure at home and you're well guarded, see, the, the, uh, yeah, the book says, the good book says, for this reason, a woman should go and live with his husband. So if you have a son, the woman comes into your house and when they come to, make, to become one with your, with your child or with, with the husband, the partner, then they grow, and as they grow, if when they are comfortable to extend your kingdom or to extend their kingdom, 
then they can go out without stress. But the, the shift here is that I started thinking about, so when a boy becomes 18, he goes to college, he goes to uni, and he just goes. So how am I going to build this when <laughs> it just goes? This is where this individual, individual European individual stuff comes in. They just they get trained on mm. something else and they just go. But I don't think that applies in the Jewish or I don't know about the Armenian family, but I don't think that because when a doctor, when your dad is a doctor, it's highly that you become a doctor. As a lawyer, you see this professional because stuff. they force the child. In a Jewish family, in an Armenian-Iranian family, they force the child. You don't have a choice to choose what you like. It's not like a Bangladesh here. You have rules. There's regulation. Your dad is a doctor. You're a doctor. It doesn't matter if you're a good student or a bad student. You have to study. That's it. And, um, I mean, the family has a lot of authority over you, which, as I said a little bit ago, it's bad sides. I mean, I can talk about why this culture is bad for people's psychology, but there are certain areas that it's good as well. So the child is forced to study. They will beat you if you don't study. It's not like, oh, mama, dada, I don't study. No, we don't have this kind of thing. <laughs> you study and that's it. Otherwise, shalamp, you're going to get get it from the family. Or, um, Were you beaten? No, because I was always obeying. I, I still obey. I still obey my parents. At this age, I'm telling you, my friends laugh sometimes. They're like, you're gazillion, you're grandma age. And you listen to your dad. Like, are you nuts? You can say things. But for me, I'm ingrained that way. My dad said this. Okay. My mama said this. Okay. And you go. You go. My mom still says, oh, my mom said this. And she's grown-up woman so you see how the system works you don't come out of the system that much and um the society functions in a way i don't know it's weird but it functions and i think it's great because you don't see many of them in prison so <laughs> um, i just always have each other's back you don't, see, you don't see too many divorce rates no, you don't yeah. divorce. It's bad yeah, so... because you don't because you don't want your uncle to say something. What is the neighbor will say? You sacrifice. You're a mother. You sacrifice your life for your children. You're a father. You sacrifice your life for children. You do what's best for the child. I think that's why I'm traumatized. I don't think I'm ready to have a child <laughs> to devote my life to the child because the culture asks you to do so, and it's interesting in a way. Yes, I just want to get back to Victor's point when he said about his uh, son, he will go to college and he will be far away from uh, the kingdom that Victor is trying to <laughs> create and invest. And that is actually a, a real issue for uh, this new generation. What do you think, Carla? Uh, because we push uh, children now to invest in themselves, go have a degree, just go far away from the house and have an experience. But we don't teach them. Uh, well, I don't have a children anymore. But, but what I'm observing that we don't 
uh, teach them at early age the investment as like in Armenian or Jewish family? What do you think about that, Carly? Yeah, I, I think that's definitely it's closely related to what Simon said about values. I think and and Western. I think it's a very Western um, approach to life. It never used to be that case, even in the Western world. It used to be quite traditional um, and a, a structured society that was based on a system that worked. But you get these new trends uh, and you get rebellion. You always get humans that want to rebel and do things their own way. And that's been part of human history. And I think that in the Western world, the individualistic um, and the materialistic capitalism is is has a big role to play in that. When uh, we made the shift towards capitalism, we made the shift also towards women being out of the home. Then we made the shift to if women are out of the home, what's the point in couples anyway? Because women can do it all themselves. And that became like a massive uh, trend. And also the loss of the family structure and the loss of the order, like uh, Matilda's talking about hierarchy and authority in families. Now we talk about burning the patriarchy and, and basically what we're saying is we don't want any authority. We want an individualistic society where everyone decides for themselves what's right and wrong and everyone goes their own way. And it's a battle of wills, even in, a, in families where there should be um, teamwork. Now it's competitive. So children are competing with one another in families and, and going out in the world to prove their worth rather than um, forming a unit. And I think part of that also affected things like people's standards. Obviously, if, no, if you're no longer interested in traditional family setup, then you're no longer interested in your sexual behavior. So now you can sleep with as many people as you want. You can combine all sorts of uh, in creative ways to create different ways of doing things for your own uh, gain and for your own needs and your own interests. And not you don't really have to think about how that impacts the future. And I think that's been more common in some cultures than it has in others. And I think some of it's been by choice, like in Western society, it's almost seen as a freedom to just not get married, not bother with family structures, just go your own way, do your own thing and satisfy yourself, please yourself and make yourself happy. Um, and then in other cultures, I think it's been as a result of trauma. And I know you're going to bring this up in a minute. Um, but I think things like, for example, in my uh, background, slavery had a massive impact um, on the Jamaican uh, side of my family. And, and I know a lot of people from around the world who come from cultures that were affected by slavery were robbed of their culture, were robbed of the structures that holds families and cultures and civilizations together. And the effects of that are still seen today. For example, here in Britain, in the Caribbean community, we have a, a far higher um, incidences of um, single parent families um, and the tragedies that that causes especially to boys who grow up without fathers mm. um, the fact that women then have to financially struggle to support their children and there is nothing when you when you're financially struggling to support your children as a single parent there is no intergenerational wealth there is no investment there is no building a kingdom it's just survival um, and I think it's complex. All of those things are very complex. It's difficult to put your finger on an exact cause. But I do think it goes down to a loss of values. And also for some people, a loss of religion, because for a lot of people, religion meant values. It's very hard to have values to just pluck them out of thin air, you know, without something solid. It, it, people don't do it. And I know people say, oh, you can live without religion. You can just be a good person. But this whole good person, it's getting bigger and bigger and wider and wider, how you define that. 
do you know what I mean? So, yeah, I think all of that plays a role in it. Um, but I'll hand it back to you for the next question. Yeah. Yeah, thanks, Carla, for cl clarifying yeah. it because... Let me just read just one comment, um, Hannah. Um, okay, okay I've read this. Yeah, um, Sasha says, um, the new generation is just victim about their own emotions. If you don't have strict reference references, you are lost. Hmm, just one cool. second, Victor, because this this uh, comment is very interesting. When he says about the new generation just victim about their own emotions, but I think mm -hmm. also there is what Kala mentioned about intergenerational trauma that happened in other generations, and the patterns are still passing through the new generation. So even if this generation they have they are victim in their own emotions, but they have also baggage of uh, trauma that happened before uh, because of the colonization, because of the war, uh, because some people were denied from their knowledge and a lot of things happened in a lot of countries. Um, and I think just that the trauma is passing through different generation, which is why we see now uh, a lot of different investment that is, I feel like it's non-tangible like what we have now with Bitcoin, Metaverse, and virtual world. And that's what my next question is. Uh, we see now the new generation, they are investing heavily in technology, intelligence, artificial, and everything. So how do you think that with this generation will lead the next one? This question is open for everyone. Go ahead. Well, I mean, what we know of the world right now, it's not going to be the same in 20 years. 30 years, 50 years. So obviously, it, this is the beginning of metaverse. This is the beginning of the AI. Obviously, in 20 years, in 50 years, we're going to have a lot of AI controlling or managing our world. So if I am right now investing in metaverse, then my next generation will use that platform and make, make it better and bigger or with Bitcoin as well. Bitcoin is going to be the same as gold, actually maybe more um, important than gold. So it's what the other generation gave it to me. I have to give it to another generation. And right now the world is in a way, it's more digital. So I need to invest in digitalized um, finance so I can give it to my next generation if I have a child. Okay, so you're gonna you leave. Mean when, uh, you, mean, you mean when you have a child? Go ahead. Yeah, when I have a child. Mm -hmm. Yes. So you're gonna leave a lot of plans in the metaverse. <laughs> yeah, good ones. Good ones. Some restaurants, some plans. <laughs> uh, when it comes to this whole metaverse and the future and everything, I've been thinking. Because I, I, I'll do a little survey here. Put your hand up if you know your own, if you know five mobile numbers off by heart. Do you know four? Yeah, I know, you know four. You know four? Yeah. I know three. And that's two of them are mine, and I know my sister's because she hasn't changed theirs. Does anybody know two? <laughs> So you've got two, and Carla, Hannah probably knows one. 
<laughs> okay. Now, my point being is, if you look at the metaverse, it's all about technology. Fair enough, it's great. But who last picked up a pen and wrote a letter? Okay, so we've got one person. I, I, love I use a pen I because of the podcast and I have to get people to write their emails. And I write little post-it notes as reminders. But apart from that, I haven't written any document in ages. Now, my point being here is that the skills that we have that help our memories work and all these things are being lost due to modern technology. That's not a good thing. That's not a good thing in any shape or form. So when we ask ourselves, how would a young um, work, they can work very well based on technology, but there's also there's going to be a vital side where they're going to be missing out and it's going to have repercussions in the long run. Hmm. And I just wanted to throw that out there because the fact that the most, third, like we've got Victor of the highest number, well done, Victor, who has four mobile numbers in his head. Yeah. But that the equivalent to that is no like knowing the five times table and below. If you think about it, yeah, I'm sure later on, Simon, they will add gene editing, and you can even choose what kind of uh, how, uh, like how much your child's IQ should be. So, you know, I think you will find another problems once yeah, but it goes advanced. Even if you had gene editing, the way the mind works, if you don't practice it, you lose it. Do you see what I mean? So, you could teach someone at a young age something and then they don't practice it's not like necessarily swimming or riding a bicycle which yeah this is this is something quite different okay see. let me just read read the last um another comment from sasha which is very interesting um why do you have a relation a relation between slavery and single family i can answer that or carla carla do you want to go on that I think we can both answer it because you'll probably be able to add stuff to it. Um, mm. I think because of the intergenerational trauma uh, that we've mentioned earlier, slavery had a debilitating uh, effect on the populations. Um, and it's never really been addressed. It's never been addressed. It's always been swept under the carpet and dismissed whenever there's an issue in the Caribbean uh, community or in the communities that were affected by slavery. It, and and people bring up uh, slavery as a connecting thing uh, because it's passed on from generation to generation. People dismiss it and uh, push it aside because it was so long ago and it was abolished and all of that kind of stuff. But that's usually because they don't know the history of what happened after slavery because they weren't impacted by it. And they don't understand the impact of something that happens that I think it was 80, in the 1830s, uh, slavery was abolished for example in the caribbean technically abolished just like in america in the south uh, people got their equal rights in the 60s but actually they didn't um on paper they did but officially they never did um so for example the caribbean population has never had any compensation or acknowledgement of the trauma and the distress and the robbery of natural resources that took place as a result of slavery They've never had any acknowledgement and there's fights still going on in the UK in Parliament between people from Jamaican diaspora and politicians and all these people who refuse to acknowledge 
that the 300 years that they enslaved Africans and transported them all over the world and took them to the Caribbean and tortured and abused them, murdered them, raped them, did all those horrific things, that that's still having an impact in our community to this day, that that's still affecting our young men. It's affecting their psychology. It's affecting the way that they treat women. It's affecting the way that they view themselves as a person um, and the way that society views them as well. There's still a lot of white people who believe that it was okay to enslave black people just based on the fact that they were black and, and they, they had lesser value. There are still people to this day that believe that that was okay. And there are other people who think that it doesn't matter anymore because it's, it was so long ago that it doesn't have an impact, but it does. Because if you enslave people generation after generation, you, you rip them away from their children. You rip women away from their husbands and husbands away from their wives. You torture and abuse people in front of people. That does carry on from generation to generation. And definitely when it's not addressed, nowadays, if someone has a car crash, they, they get post-traumatic stress disorder and they have nightmares and they have to have therapy and they get all of this money given to them because they're on the sick and all of that kind of stuff. That's acknowledging that the trauma is very real and it can stop them from working. It can stop them from having a productive life. But that never happened for the thousands of people who were impacted by slavery. Never happened for people like my dad's generation who, because of the, the colonial legacy, were forced to leave Jamaica and come to the UK um, to work for a living because their living wasn't available to them in, in Jamaica because the economy was on its knees. Um, but then when they came to the UK, even educated Jamaican people who had struggled in the years following slavery, one generation after another, came here and they were subjected to racial abuse, subjected to having to live in tenement housing with six families squeezed in one house in London and things like that. That was just one generation ago, but it's not acknowledged. And that's why there's a connection between slavery and single parenthood, because all of those things affect families. Um, when fathers had to leave Jamaica in the 60s, 50s, 40s, 30s, 20s to come here, who were they leaving behind when they had to leave to go and work to make a living? They were leaving behind their wives and their children. Mm. And that has been passed on to the next generation who now it's normal for them to have families without fathers. So it's normalised. And that's very different from Victor's culture, for example, where fathers are still in the home. There's a big difference in the African um, diaspora here in the UK and the Caribbean diaspora. And it's, it traces back to slavery. Victor could probably trace his heritage through several generations back to his homeland, whereas Simon and I wouldn't be able to do that. And that's as a direct cause of that slavery that's caused that. To, even just to find our ancestors, it's, it's a job and a half. And if you can't find your ancestors, how do you find your culture? How do you find your history, your legacy, your your shared value system? You you can't, can you? So yeah, that I hope that answers your question, Sasha. Just to add add to that, um, Sasha. Like you know, I used to be in the military, and when we were coming back, uh, a regimental officer, a psychiatrist officer, kind of thing stood up. There's about a couple of thousand of us. And um, he said, guys, uh, just to let you know, the same time you've been on tour or preparing to be on tour, and tour is being on a battlefield, is going to be the bare, statistically, they realize it's going to be the bare minimum would take you to get back to normal as you were before you left. 
So they tell you things like, so when you go home and you make love to your wife, hug her. Don't just jump on her. Don't shout at the kids and kick the dogs. Because these are all the statistical issues that they have with people who come back from a battlefield. Now, keep in mind, you're only there for six months. Maybe you could add on another three months because of the training, beat-up training to get there. Now, they can acknowledge that. What does three or four hundred years in Americans' case, black Americans' case of slavery do? When you divide families, a woman has a child and she sells, um, the father is sold. Do you understand? Yeah? Or they sell the children to another, um, another plantation owner. And all of these crazy things that these Europeans were doing. And those things carry on. There's blood full of veins. It's just like uh, Matilda's here, sitting here saying what her culture is and how principled it is. And that's been continuing because that's been a strong legacy. So it's the same way where you have the negative, it still becomes the same neg uh, legacy. And not everybody develops at the same time. Not everybody gets back to normal at the same time. Over yeah. to you, Matilda. Well, it's interesting that you mentioned it, but I think it depends on the culture. For example, when you look at Armenian culture, we are from genocide. The diaspora Armenians is from genocide. And you never meet any Armenian. You meet any, they don't even maybe speak Armenian, but if they know half of them or a quarter of them are Armenian, they know about genocide. You meet any Jewish person, they know about Holocaust. These people, mm -hmm. we talk about it day in, day out. You talk with Sasha, maybe he doesn't speak Armenian well, but his grandparents were survival of genocide and mm -hmm. of course he has a feeling about he doesn't like to go to turkey because for him that's where um his grandparents left the country left whatever they had they came to france and some other armenians they can give you a very horrific stories about their grandparents being murdered or grandparents were an orphan to get to a, one, a safe place to continue living I think for for it depends on the culture, the 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 societies that they've seen a lot of trauma, tragedies. For them being Armenian, continuing the culture, continuing the values of this nation is very important. For people to be Jewish and continue to buy lands and be good in business be a good lawyer, be a good finance advisor, because nobody can take the, the knowledge from you. They can take your land, but they cannot take uh, your education. It's something that you teach your children that you are Jewish and you have to continue this blood. You need to marry a Jewish and you have to thrive because this is what you do. Your ancestors, they uh, sacrifice a lot for you to be here and you have to take it and yes. you have to go for it. With all force. But I mean, that's what we teach our Armenians too. We give you this, but then you go and run with it with all force because Armenians have to thrive and they have to go forward with life. Mm. I'm not sure what you mean quite when you say it depends on the culture because the Holocaust was what, six years, if you're going to give it right, the, the overall thing? Because Hitler didn't set up the concentration camps 
straight away. And let's say the World War, Second World War, is six, seven years, depending on whether you're talking the Russian, the Japanese, or the European in general. But that's very short compared to 300 years or 400 years. Mm. So you can hold your culture easily within six years. And considering not all Jewish people were treated badly. Now, in the sense of where you've got the the business element, you're totally right. If you have no land, then yes, you will learn things, skills like banking and stuff that you can do on the move um, if you're going to be persecuted. But if you don't have any land and you're enslaved and you've been born into slavery, that's a whole other ballgame. As far back as you can remember, anybody can remember in your bloodline, all they've known is slavery. You can't equate six years or seven years, and I don't know about the I know of the Armenian genocide, I don't know how long that is, so I won't get into that, but with 300 years or 400 years. If you add all our ages together, that doesn't even amount to, you know, half of the 400 years. You know, Armenians in Iran, we've been there for 500 years. And you meet yeah. any Armenian in Iran, they speak Farsi, of course, they speak very well Farsi, but there's mm -hmm. an accent. Imagine my grandma is born in Iran, but when she talks, there's an accent. Imagine mm -hmm. someone born in America and there's, they have an accent, it's kind of very funny. Even when I talk, they think I'm a visitor and I'm like, no, but I've been here. My grandparents, my grandparents, grandparents are born in this country. But for us, the first language is Armenian. Our religion is different. It's Christian. And for us, being Armenian is very important. You marry an Armenian. You have Armenian children. You speak Armenian to your children. Um, I think that um, because maybe we've been a very small country and we've been one of the earliest countries in the world, for us to continue is very important. And you you um, transmit that besides your lands that you give it to your child. You give that culture, you give that value, you give that identity uh, to that person. Yeah. Next I year. just want to say... Thanks, um, Sasha, for your response. Um, appreciate it. Yeah, and what Matilda said about uh, transmitting the culture, it's really inheriting the culture from uh, our ancestors. So we want, um, so the community won't collapse, for example. And uh, that's what all other culture, I mean, they are trying to preserve that kind of uh, uh, values in their children. Um, there is a really important uh, notion I want to talk about, about the stolen generation from indigenous Australian. Uh, maybe Carla is familiar with it. Uh, so one in three indigenous Australian children were forcibly taken from their families and communities between 1910 and 1970, which has caused an intergenerational trauma uh, in Australia. Um, so we see also that people before colonization, they were living happily ever after with their lands and uh, they were living um, a very healthy life and they have access to everything. And we see how uh, when problems happened, uh, what, how the consequences affected the next generation. So I have a question for all of you guys. 
Um, maybe uh, Victory can put it on the screen. Um, just a question. Yes. So, how do you think right now we could invest in our, we can invest ethically, and how, what we could leave for this future generation? This question is for the audience too. I got an answer to that, and I actually got that from Shaq. I I meant to post that on, on excuse me, on our WhatsApp group, and Shaq said two of the one of the most the most important things he's ever done in life is listen. And the second thing he, when it comes to investing, he said he um, he only invests in things that help people. And if it's too good to be true, he doesn't do it. So even if he's going to lose money, but he only invests in things that he can help people. And that would be my answer to your question. You only invest in things that can help people. If they can't help people, then why bother? Yeah, and also listening is a prime. There's <laughs> a prime key for everybody, including myself, certainly. That just to listen is that he said that's the most important thing he's learned in his life, and the best thing he's learned just to sit there and listen. Carla's probably the the connoisseur. Do you want to say quoi? Yeah, but um, yeah, that would be my answer. Over to you, Carla. Carla. Yeah, anyone want to answer this question? Yes, Matilda. Well, um, what I would like to give to the next generation, when I have a next generation, I would like to give them the ability to respect and to love. And I hope I can love them enough. And you cannot force that. I can love them enough to realize I can give them life lessons and because sometimes young generation doesn't like to listen to their parents, and I think that's a problem. And I, I, I think it, it's important to, to learn from other people's mistake so you won't do those mistakes. So you understand your people's problem, and you can work through it and um, go forward in life. And you take whatever they have, the package that they're giving you, and you can bring more packages to that package. You can add more packages to that package and then send it to the next generation. I think that's what um, I would like to, to leave behind to my next generation. Great. Yeah, for, me, for me, I would, I would like, it's what I like anyways. I would like more of my my offspring to believe more on themselves, you know, to believe more of themselves, more, more confident, and um, than I am, you know, and investing something tangible. <laughs> you know, you see, not, not, now it's crashing, not, so <laughs> not not NFT monkeys. <laughs> Yeah, but well, see, yeah, but I, I, I want them to invest in something that is very tangible and understand, you know, different levels of risk. But above all, to be very confident in themselves and be more courageous than I am or than I would be, you know, that's it. Carla, yeah. yeah, 
Uh, I, I would say it's, it's all about people, isn't it? The, the best asset we're ever going to have on earth is the people. So as an educator, of course, I would say that it's all about education. But I think one of the shifts that we need to see in the future is values based education. I, I really believe that that's what's been missing from education. And I think that we're not really going to progress. Humanity isn't going to go anywhere until we bring back values and how we do that. We'll leave that for another discussion, but values underpinning our education instead of economics underpinning our education, I think is definitely what I would say people need to invest in. And Sasha says it there, um, invest in people, not things. Um, absolutely, we have to invest in our children. Yeah, yeah. If, you, if, you transmit, if you transmit an inheritance to an idiot, you go <laughs> Absolutely. And I think that takes us full circle, doesn't it, to the beginning, the mm. questions that you were asking about the earth. The reason why we have the problems that we have on earth, with even with the natural resources, is because money was left to, Sasha's word, they're not mine, to idiots the people that had the money in the past generations didn't use it wisely that's the reality of it and with money comes power so those people had in their hand the power to do or not do and they did and now look at the mess we're in the the, the dragging up of all the resources in the earth in order to build these civilizations that are advanced but are not really advanced it was stupidity and we're and we're suffering aren't we as a result of that now um, so I think the only way we can get back from that is with proper values-based education for the next generation so that they can understand that the amount of money you have doesn't make any difference. It's how you use it um, that makes a difference. You can take a small amount and have a huge impact for the positive of humanity um, long-term, or you can take millions and just squander it, satisfying your own silly desires, can't you? I think that's what we need to shift away from back to proper values, core values. And what really matters is the main resource is human beings and the quality of those human beings. As, um, as a parent, I believe the best thing I can leave my children or teach my children is give them two tools. The first one is self-respect. Because if you respect yourself, you respect others and life will be a lot easier for you. And the second one is self-discipline. You have self-discipline, you'll do what you're meant to do. You'll exercise, you'll study, you'll do your job. If you want, if you've got an idea to start your business, you'll do your business. But because you've got self-respect, you'll do it ethically. I think that's, I'm saying it right. And those are the two tools that I would endeavour to leave my children and any any children I'm responsible for or people I have influence on in, around the world. Including future ones. <laughs> Go ahead, Matilda. Any final thoughts? Well, voila, this question is to Sasha. I'm reading the comment and I'm like, <laughs> what if you have an idiot child? You're not going to, you know, you're not going to give your <laughs> Matilda, I think you should have that conversation tonight. In the morning, wake him up. How can you explain your child? Idiot or not idiot, you love your child and that's it. You give whatever you have to your child and that's how it should be. Excuse me. I think what he's talking about there, Matilda, is the principle that 
yeah. we see this with some wealthy families. Their children are lacking values in education, maybe because mm -hmm. the parents were busy pursuing wealth. They didn't have time to invest in their children's development in character, for example. And then the children squander their parents' wealth. They're left in, I know people that have done this actually, they were left in inheritance and within months they'd squandered like thousands and thousands that their grandparents and parents had worked their butt off literally all their life. And then oh, they left life. it to them and they'd blown it, fast cars, yeah. eating out, entertaining women, or you name it. And Victor's okay. not even probably knows a few people like that. Yeah, I think that's I know, what I know. Yeah. It's, it's but that know. I know. But you know why, you know, you know why, see, a funny, funny true story. You know, next of kin, next of kin, in the funeral, the next of kin was actually looking at his watch. <laughs> yeah, funnily next enough, I was, was looking at the watch. I was looking at so I'm just waiting for the lawyer to come in. Yeah, I was somewhere at the weekend, and right. we met this so, man. I think Victor's I was somewhere at the weekend and we met this man. We were on a, me and someone, a friend of mine, were on a journey and we went and we pulled in at this building that was disused. It was like a huge uh, building, acres and acres of, of land. It had three houses on the land that were abandoned. It had, um, it used to be a caravan park, uh, a bit a thriving business that was a caravan park, but there was a home there. Um, and there were these huge listed buildings, at least three of them. And this building had the potential to be an amazing place that you could do like a community education center and stuff. And when we spoke to the person who was, there was a man who was living on the land in a caravan. The rest of it was all unkempt. And it was like millions of pounds worth of property that was just left rotting. Um, and there was a man living in a caravan there that had... I don't know, falling into a depression or something like that. And when we spoke to him, the man explained his story. His family's story is that the, the land had been left in trust. Um, the person that had owned it was his uh, a fat member of his family had passed away and left it in trust in a solicitor's where it's been in the control of this solicitor for years and years, more than 10 to 15 years. Nobody in the family has got right to go to, to touch this land or do anything on this land. And it's basically excuse me, sitting there okay. um, going to waste because of a family feud. Um, and the, the owner of it was a multimillionaire and the solicitor that owns it is also a multimillionaire. And yet this land was just sitting there empty. And this this is there are loads of these all over the UK where mm -hmm. rich people have owned them, let them go into disrepair because they, they have no values, they have no understanding of how precious that is and they have no desire to use it to help anyone they don't want to build anything there they don't want to develop it and they don't want anyone else to have it they just want it to sit there and while they argue about it and spend thousands on solicitors that's an example of what Sasha's talking about of just inheritance being left to idiots um it's, it happens all the time well then Sasha you better work when you have a child you better work on that child to not be an idiot and give whatever you have to that child yeah. That's how it should be. A parent, that's how a parent should act. Uh, family counseling online, live, live stream, family counseling. But I would say this if you, do, if you do have a child who's an idiot, it doesn't make sense to leave them lots of wealth, whether they're physically an idiot or just a bad child, bad person. 
I wouldn't leave them a lot of wealth. I'd leave them enough to be comfortable, and then that's it. And I thought I would find an orphanage and help them out, give them, pay for all their all, all the orphanage education for private purposes or something. That's going to do a lot better than giving I, it to my wayward son and, and cocaine and whores and all the rest of it. Yeah. I understand all your point, guys, but there are some parents who are idiots and they don't want to leave anything for their children. There are some parents like that. I mean, it's not like just children who are idiots. You can also see parents who don't want to leave anything for their children. Yeah, it goes down to character again. Character. On both sides, it's character and values, isn't it? Yeah. Imagine you have a very rich parents and they don't want to give you money. Are you kidding me? But I wouldn't mind. <laughs> I'll tell you what. My, I would mind. Like, uh, I'll tell you a story. I'm my, in that situation. My, <laughs> no, no. My, my, my right. Adult, my adopted parent, my dad's a professor, he's got an OBE from the Queen, and my mum was in politics in England. And um, they bought my sister a house outright. Yeah, it's worth, it's about 15 years ago. It's worth, it was worth a quarter of a million then, so it's probably worth a lot more now. They also turned around and said to me, they're buying me a house. But I already owned a flat. I had a car, I had a motorbike. I said, I don't need your house. I just go and enjoy your money, go on cruises and do what you want to do. They offered me, my father actually got upset with me. He offered me about five or six times, kept on saying, I said, no, I'm okay. I'm okay. Because to me, your money is your money. If you leave it to me, that's great. If you don't, well, you've given me the tools in life to be able to earn my own. And if I don't own my own, that's on me. I'm, it's, I, I don't see where the entitlement comes. Just because I come from somebody, you must give me. You must give me the tools to be able to help myself. But you don't have to give me all your wealth. If they don't that, give you the tools or the wealth, what should you do then? No, well, <laughs> then then you may have to look at yourself and say, what are you doing wrong? Because, but, but think about it. As long as you've got health, Howler, you've got health, you've got, you, you're educated, you went to school and all that, they have given you the tools. They may have not given you the hugs and the kisses. That's life. It's just life. That's everything. I'm not, I'm not entitled. I'm not entitled. I don't believe just because my parents have money, they must give me money. And my birth father said to me one time, he said, son, even if I was a multimillionaire, I wouldn't give you a penny unless you prove to me, even in death, that you can earn a certain amount of money yourself. And I was really peed off with him when he said that. Well, look at But then I thought about it as I've got older, I thought, he's right. Why should I suddenly get a load of money and I'm just worthless to society? If I'm not helping anybody, let alone myself, why? What, just because I come from somebody? Come on, please. So that's where self-respect comes into it. Self-respect says you're your own man. You're not about handouts as a grown man. Self-respect is you take whatever your parents are giving you take care of that, you add it, and you give it to your children. So yeah. your child, instead of starting from zero, it starts from 30 and adds to the next generation. So every generation has the obligation and duty to perform better than their parents, to take care of that heritage that comes from their grandparents, because there is a value there. My grandparents worked so hard. I'm going to put it a little bit more. I worked more harder than my grandparents and give it to my child. So that way, my name, my last name, 
goes forward. My um, heritage. I, I, I agree with Matilda because even I hear uh, what she's saying. Religious. I hear what you're saying, saying Matilda. But hold what on, I will say is this, Simon. Sorry to interrupt you, but at, actually, religiously, it's a sin that you leave your children in the misery, that you leave someone without any legacy or without any oh, inheritance. Wait a minute. That is a yeah. Go ahead. Right. Wait, you let let if we're going to go down the route of the good book with the Quran and thing, let's make this clear. It's a sin if you leave your child in poverty. If you leave your twenty-year-old, thirty-year-old child, yeah, who has had a lifetime to build their own empire, buy the house, do get a car and do all this, and you educated them, that's not a sin because you've done your job. Now it's a bonus if they get your money afterwards. Now, but if you retrospect, look at it like this. We're gonna go by the good book. Am I my brother's keeper? There's an orphanage down the road. And my parents have educated me. I bought my own house and forgot my own things. Should I take that money from them or should I allow my parents to go and look after the kids in the orphanage because they've given me the tools to look after myself in life anyway? About your core values. What really matters? Is it all about you as an individual and your self and your entitlement? Or is it about the society as a whole? Because if well, I have that money, bear with me, if I have that money, when those children leave that orphanage, they're breaking into my house because they've had nothing. Thank you. No, but you can take that money, put more in it, and uh, instead of helping one orphanage, uh, help five orphanages. But Matilda, point B, and I hear what you're saying, people are not thinking like that. Okay. What, what my point is, yeah. is about society and humanity and your own personal core values. But okay, what I was hearing earlier was about I'm entitled to get everything my parents have given me. And I'm yeah. saying as a parent and also as a child, yeah. no. My yeah, parents' job I, was, I to, was to clothe me, bear me. My parents' job was to clothe me, feed me, and educate me according to society and give me the tools of life to go out and help myself. And may yeah. always be there for guidance. But when I'm in my I'm in my 40s now, mid-40s, I know I look younger. <laughs> but my parents, my parents in their 70s, why should I necessarily be entitled to grab all their money just for our, just because I come from them or they adopted me? To me, that doesn't make sense. Yeah, that's your Because they've, give, they've done their job by, by what Howler was saying, they've done their job. In my culture, but, that's not okay. Because in my I'm, culture... I'm, I'm, I'm not talking about... I'm just talking about individual people. You as a person and your own personal core values. That's what I'm Simon, saying. Simon, that, on, is why, that is why we're saying it's 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 the European culture of yeah. that is just me. That is just individual. No, when you are when 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 you're giving something which is a parent's a parent's wish yeah. as my wish to hand over to you. I agree with that. I agree with that. It has nothing to do with your core values or anything, because mm -hmm. it is their wish to give it to you. Yeah, it's not, it's, aspects, not, it's, not, it's not you being. It's not you being entitled. I, I am supposed to get this. No, they've worked for it, and they say, "Okay, this is yours. You can take this." Yeah, but Victor, you're talking from the parent down. Matilda was talking from the child up, and I was pointing out from the child up. As I can say as a child, 
I'm not entitled to necessarily get what my parents want to give are going to give me. I'm not going to say you must, but what I'm saying is, from a parent, if I decide I've built an empire and I've built all these community interest companies or whatever, and I say to my children, I'd like you to continue this and live off the fruits as well, that's different. But there shouldn't be any entitlement coming from the child aspect. That's what I'm saying. But uh, Simon, my entitlement is because I'm entitled to give it to my children. My entitlement is that my parents are my queen and king. I will never not take care of my parents. Whatever my mom says, I do. Doesn't matter what age I am. Whatever my grandma says, my mom does it. She doesn't question because that's her mom. So the system is different. Yes. I think we just have different perspectives. We'll keep going. We'll keep going into. We'll be going in circle about. Always starting from, always starting from zero, starting from zero, starting from zero, starting from zero, which I don't think is, is really, really. I like what Sasha said. Backing off. If you don't want your heritage, I can give you my references. <laughs> oh my god! Yeah, and that's yeah. a good that's way that's to end fire today. <laughs> yes, and thank you for tuning in because uh, we had a lot of uh, great uh, areas we talked about today. And uh, I think at the end, we still have strong minds and hearts and we still know who we are and uh, where we come from. And uh, we can always create safe and strong communities together and to uh, invest ethically for us and for the future generation, I guess. Uh, thank you for tuning in, for Sasha and George. I appreciate anyone who is interested in this um, topic. Please let us know what you want to know more about, uh, about us or about this topic for next week. And uh, yeah, uh, that's a wrap. And uh, just final thing, just to introduce my co-host again. Go ahead, Matilda. Uh, my podcast is Coffee with Matilda and you can find it in all the platforms, podcast platforms on YouTube and Facebook. Over to you, Carla. My podcast is the Wonder and Wellbeing podcast, which is all about education and well-being. And I mention a lot about values in my podcast as well. In fact, that's my buzzword, as everybody knows. So you can check that out. Over to you, Simon. Thanks. Taxi Chronicles is my podcast, I interview people in a taxi and Africa Investor Stories, also my podcast, uh, interviewing people from around the world who invested in Africa and we, like everybody else, we're found on all platforms. Victor? Yeah, thank you, Simon. Yes, I'm Victor Sio. I'm the host of the Diaspora Entrepreneurs Podcast where we talk to um, business owners, entrepreneurs who have left the, who have managed to move from the core 9 to 5 towards the lifestyle of freedom. Yeah, you can find us on Apple Podcast, Apple iTunes, and all major platforms, including YouTube. Over to you, Hala. Yes, and my podcast, Women Stories Podcast, you can find the latest episode on all podcast platforms. And yeah, can't wait to uh, be here again, uh, Podcasters Unleashed, with another host, um, maybe Matilda. <laughs> so yeah, uh, tune in for next episodes. will be interesting. And uh, see you again. Bye. Bye-bye.